Today on Government Matters, keeping the Army ready to fight tonight in the middle of COVID-19 response. The Secretary of the Army tells you how his force is preparing. The Army's big six modernization priorities on hold because of coronavirus or moving forward. Ryan McCarthy reviews the list. And billions of dollars at the Pentagon going to fight the virus. Two former comptrollers tell you what spending clues to watch. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. About 27,000 veterans have volunteered to assist the Army with its response to the coronavirus. The Army's been working to support hospitals in cities and deploy field hospitals to areas hit hard by the virus. Ryan McCarthy is the Secretary of the Army. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining me this morning. What can you tell me about the Army's priorities in responding to coronavirus so far, sir? Well, from prevention, detection to treatment, the U.S. Army is on offense of all three phases of fighting the coronavirus. Our, our Fort Detrick, the home of uh, the uh, Army's MRDC, which is uh, where we can do, do uh, intense research for infectious diseases. Like, and historically, we've fought Ebola, SARS, Zika, and we're central to the development of those vaccines. Have 24-hour op operations, seven days a week and are, have one of the six candidates for the vaccine worldwide that is, uh, has potential of entering human testing by the late summer, early fall. On the, on the uh, testing front, we're supporting the president's task force to the development of a variety of test capability and making it much more robust here in the country. 29,000 National Guardsmen around the United States are deployed in all 50 states and territories. Another 2,000 Army reservists have been activated in their urban augmentation medical task forces in various hospitals like in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Michigan, as well as 2,000 Army engineers that have built alternate care facilities in a variety of cities, retrofitting convention centers and creating hospitals so that you have overflow capacity in the event that the, uh, the COVID virus continues to, gr to grow in these cities. So uh, beyond that, we do also, we have another 8,000 troops are supporting command and control at Northern Command. So over 40,000 troops that have been mobilized to fight this here in the United States. Uh, we're on offense in every corner against this fight. Every time that we talk, uh, Secretary McCarthy, you remind me that your number one mission focus is to make sure that your force is ready to fight tonight is the term that you always use and that your fellow soldiers and civilians use. How has this impacted the ability of the Army to fight tonight? And what are you doing to make sure that regardless of what you have to do to respond to the virus, you can still do that? We were very fortunate, Francis, when we entered the really when the we entered this fight about you know really 60 to 75 days ago the army had over half of its brigade combat teams at the highest levels of readiness but obviously the uh the because of social distancing and us learning about the virus it's inhibited us to conduct company battalion what we call collective training larger scale exercises in this interim period we've been working on a risk mitigation uh, metrics on how would we take a unit, test them, send them to the field, and then isolate them so that they can ultimately conduct their training and move down that readiness continuum to prepare for deployments. 
Uh, we're working through these protocols. We've, uh, we've, uh, we've acquired additional test capability and we're setting the posture for the U.S. Army Worldwide to turn that back on here in the very near future. But we have been doing a lot of individual training. Uh, you know, the squad and below, soldiers are still working out. They're still conducting marksmanship. So we're doing all the right things. Our posture is still very strong and we are ready to fight tonight. The logistics involved with the readiness discussion, the readiness preparation that you just discussed sounds pretty involved. Who all within the Army is putting all of that together? Sounds like TRADOC would be one starting point, but I imagine they're not the only ones involved. So if you if you were to really take a hard look inside the Army today, we have uh, update every morning with Army senior leaders. So our, the Army senior leadership as well as senior staff and secretariat meet twice a week. We do a senior leaders update brief where we have the entire Army leadership, the major commands, as well as secretariat. So we're constantly synchronizing all of the information and bringing all of the capabilities to bear. Obviously, people like General Scott Dingle, the Surgeon General, uh, General Gus Perna at Army Material Commander, the point people in this process. But we are meeting as a leadership team every day in how we're attacking this crisis. The, the tip of the spear is certainly the most critical element of the Army. You have a lot of uh, soldiers and civilians that are working back office, that are now teleworking, that are doing their jobs dramatically differently than they did 60 to 75 days ago. What is the Army doing to make sure that those folks stay safe? And what are you learning from this new work environment that may apply after coronavirus is gone? Uh, it just how successful we've been with teleworking. The uh, CIO of the Department of Defense, Dana DC, has done a tremendous job in opening the pipes to ensuring we have more capacity to conduct video teleconferences, conference calls, etc. So. Uh, really remarkable job by our DOD partners. But it, it is also uh, how we've had to adjust and be more reliant upon video teleconferences and conference calls. Uh, it took some adjusting at first, but we've hit our stride very quickly and still been able to put the rigor against things like the budget bill for FY22, our communications with Congress as well as industry. I have two conference calls today with CEOs of some major defense contractors where normally they'd come in here and we'd have a cup of coffee and we'd talk about weapon systems development. But we're going to have to do it over the phone today and it's working just as well. When we come back, Mr. Secretary, I want to talk about what the big six modernization priorities look like and all of the uh, issues that you just addressed there as far as interacting with industry and Congress. All of that when we come back on Government Matters right after this. Welcome back. Every branch of the military is fighting coronavirus at the same time it's driving mission readiness and modernization efforts. I'm back with Ryan McCarthy, the Secretary of the Army. Mr. Secretary, the Big Six is something that you and I have talked about uh, on and off since before you became Secretary, when you were still the Undersecretary of the Army. How has the virus fight that you've undertaken that you described in the first part of our conversation impacted the way that you're working on those Big Six? Well, it's a, quite frankly, it's been a very resilient response by the, the defense industry. And I had the opportunity to go out on Wednesday to Detroit, Michigan, to see first responders and uh, the alternate care facility the Army Corps of Engineers developed. But I also went in the afternoon to Sterling Heights, Michigan, where uh, BAE and General Dynamics have facilities. 
They're in the process of developing uh, mold protective firepower and some other weapon systems. And I saw the best of American industry. They were out there with their face masks on, their gloves, but they're still out there bending metal. Uh, Dr. Bruce Jetty and General Mike Murray have done a remarkable job working with industry, developing solutions like progress payments and small business loans to protect the liquidity of these great American companies and to protect the supply chain so they can endure these challenging times. But it's also helped them through this process. They found ways to do two and three shifts, get their, their social distancing with their, their employees, but they're still in the process and protecting schedule on these great programs. So uh, we're very encouraged. We got a prism shot next week, which is the, the uh, one of the uh, uh, programs in the long range precision fires portfolio, our number one investment portfolio. So we're gonna keep testing, we're gonna keep bending metal and we're gonna keep working with American industry to develop solutions so that we keep marching down that modernization timeline. Is that supply chain resilience and protection the most difficult challenge that you expect to face as a result of the coronavirus, Mr. Secretary? Absolutely, uh, Francis. You know, many cases that our supply chain, it's global. So there are countries that have, uh, that are, di that are different, different parts of the phase. If we go down that path of the coronavirus, when did they really have the spike? How are their laws been affected and the, like the bunker in place type of uh, decisions that various governments have made. So we're working with the State Department and the Commerce Department in ways in which we can work with these other countries to try to get their people back to work because within the second and the third tier of the supply chain, there very may well be cases where these companies have had challenges of going back to work. You mentioned that long range precision fire is your number one account right now. Is it possible that the other five might change, move around on the list because of issues with the supply chain or because of other kinds of production issues, budget pressures, and we'll talk about that maybe in a moment, anything like that, or do you expect the list to stack the way that it's always stacked, sir? So for, uh, we did a review with General Murray and Dr. Jetty just uh, like a week or so ago. And right now we're in good shape. What we're watching very closely is if this were to boomerang again in the fall. And how would you be able to adjust the, the deep fight is what we're calling this now, a sec potential second wave. So uh, the choices that uh, we made with progress payments and helping them with small business-like initiatives has protected their liquidity. So they're continually to flowing cash to the supply chain and they're still staying on track. You know, we may have lost a couple of weeks here or there, but things of which we know we can recapture schedule. Now with respect to the budget, if you want to go there now, uh, we're looking at it very closely. You know, the FY21 is still on the hill. It looks like it's in pretty good shape. Uh, there's talk of a potential stimulus and other uh, COVID related funding bills. Uh, and then ultimately, what will the top line look like in FY22? What does that process look like, given that the Hill is moving, the SASC moved to paper hearings for a while, now is not uh, not clear how they're going to move forward. The whole hearing process seems to be uh, in question right now. What does that look like from your perspective right now? In our discussions with the committees of jurisdiction, they've emphasized that their bills are written. What they're trying to work through with their parliamentarians and their members is how would a markup look like? How do we rifle members into various rooms? Because it has to be conducted in many cases in a classified setting. So how could you conduct social distancing? How do you bring them in the room in and out? It's very hard to do if they're cycling in and out. You can do that at a confirmation hearing, but very different for a markup. So they've got their hands full. But what's good is the staff 
on all of these committees have been really working hard, whether it's between recovery packages or the writing of just the traditional bills they do for authorizations and appropriation, they're moving out and they're prepared to get back to work. I know that uh, they're coming back next week and then on the 4th for the Senate. So uh, we've been in constant communication and we're gonna see what solution they put forward. It sounds to me, Mr. Secretary, like the silver lining in all of this is that budget-wise and authorization-wise, sounds like the, the issues are logistics and not necessarily content of the legislation that the, that the uh, panels are writing. Is that a fair read on my part, sir? The long pole is definitely the logistics. They're, they're in really uncharted territory. Uh, because of the nature of our Constitution, they gotta be in the room to vote and you want to be there to look each other eye to eye and have those debates. That's what's to the heart of our system. And nobody wants to uh, get away from that. But they want to do it safely and they want to make sure the members can come in and have a healthy debate and get the best outcomes possible. So we're, we're encouraged by that. We've had constant discussion with uh, the committees of jurisdiction in particular uh, about the process and how to proceed. And we're, we're doing things, we're obviously approaching the, the COVID problem every day, but we're still talking about things like the Indo-Pacific Initiative that the House and Senate Armed Services Committee are bringing forward. Very similar to what you saw um, about four or five years ago that came out of the SAS, the European Defense Initiative. So looking at these strategic challenges we face globally, getting us authorities as well as the funding to address these problems. So we're still having, um, these, these challenging strategic discussions about how we meet national objectives worldwide and what do we need to do to continue the fight against COVID. Mr. Secretary, thank you very much for joining me this morning. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks, Francis. It's good to see you. Up next, coronavirus spending eating into the future defense budget. Straight ahead on Government Matters, our all-star panel of Pentagon money managers tells you what to watch. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The federal government spent almost $3 trillion fighting the coronavirus. You heard Secretary Ryan McCarthy of the Army talk about the potential impact on next year's budget and future defense spending. Tina Jonas is senior advisor in the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. She was under Secretary of Defense Comptroller in the George W. Bush administration. Mike McCord is a member of the Commission on the National Defense Strategy. He was under Secretary of Defense Comptroller in the Barack Obama administration. Friends, thanks very much for coming on today. How are you seeing, Tina, the coronavirus impacting the way that the Defense Department should lay out its budget for this year and potentially for out years too? Francis, thank you. Uh, the department is got a lot of extra pressure, including the pressure on warfighting readiness. I think the conditions associated with the deployments uh, and the uh, incidents on the Theodore Roosevelt show the impact of the immediate impact on what I would call warfighting readiness, but secondarily individual readiness. I mean, this affects individuals, so sailors, soldiers, airmen, and Marines. And so the impact on the health system and the infrastructure of the department is important to remember. So, so I would, you know, there's some near-term, real-term, real-time adjustments that are going on right now. Uh, but obviously the strategic picture continues to change as well. Uh, the emphasis on uh, the 
Asia Pacific region uh, is always important and it just depends uh, how that evolves, but the department is gonna have to do some real time adjustments, not just out year adjustments as to how they war fight. Mike, the real-time adjustments that the department needs to do obviously involve reprogramming this year and maybe changing the budget request that they made just at the beginning of this calendar year for fiscal 21. What are the logistics involved in going back and changing something that has been at least a year and a half, maybe two years in the works to respond to something that's just happened within the last 60 to 75 days? Yeah, I think what you've seen right now is surprisingly little uh, changes have been attempted, at least visibly, between the Congress and, and the department. Uh, there's a little additional resources, about $10 billion, as you know, in the in, in one of the four supplementals that have been done so far. In the near term, I actually see some assets being created, right? Fuel prices are dropping. That saves the department money. Uh, the travel ban that the secretary has imposed is, means there's going to be no PCS moves for a while. Uh, there are impacts on training, as Tina alluded to, which also impacts readiness. So there's some there's some unavoidable, un unwanted, you know, roadblocks in the normal operations that are probably creating assets right now. Uh, the problem, and, and, and Tina uh, correctly addressed that there's, um, you know, th that's going to cause us some problems down the road. The problem is it's you can't buy you can't buy back time very easily with money. So the training that you lose today, the PCS move that you don't accomplish today, you can try and do this later, but you can't double up and catch up to where you were. So um, reprogramming, you know, th there might be some cause for it, but right now I, I don't know, you know, what you would want to put the money on. You, you really have future needs that you, it's hard to reprogram into now, especially future operational costs. But again, the PCS move that might happen this year or next year instead of this year, you would almost want to rescind money perhaps and, and appropriate it next year. Secretary McCarthy talked a few minutes ago about the fact that because the Army had increased its readiness posture over the past 18 months, two years or so, that that put them in a better position to be able to respond to this crisis. It strikes me that gets us to the point of infrastructure and maybe even redundancy. Tina, you mentioned the Theodore Roosevelt and the issues there that that's presented. What does this say about what maybe military leaders should be thinking about, about infrastructure and redundancy? Because while this is the first coronavirus, first pandemic issue that we've seen in 100 years or so, it's probably not going to be the last crisis or budget challenge that leaders have to respond to. Well, they're going to have to take a look at each of their platforms that are deployable, and I know they're doing it now uh, to make moves to reduce any uh, risk associated with uh, with those platforms. Uh, there's, it's a huge challenge, and it may require them going back to Congress uh, immediately, either through reprogramming or other uh, mechanisms, other legislation, uh, to try to address some of the real-time changes that they're having to make in these, uh, to their warfighting platforms uh, and the impact on that readiness. Mike, what are the big ch challenges that you expect to see in the out years as a result of this? People are talking about the fact that all of the stimulus that uh, Congress has passed and, and will pass in the future will add to the deficit. That's true. What are the implications on future years planning in an environment where the military as a whole the department as a whole and the branches individually have already been saying we expect to see shrinking budgets in out years. 
what do you how does this potentially change that game one way or the other well i think as you alluded to francis the uh the experts are saying that we might hit 100% debt 100% of gdp by the end of this year i mean that's some place we haven't been as a country since world war 2 so that creates heavy pressure on defense spending um I guess to me the, the big unknown. I mean, we're, we're, we don't even know how many more how many more uh, relief packages we're going to have. And sadly, these these packages, which are now, as you said, have totaled two trillion dollars, aren't really stimulating the economy in a traditional way because we didn't have a demand problem, right? We have a problem that we we have to stay away from each other and can't go to work. So we're not really investing in in our future with all this. We're trying to get through this crisis. So we're going to come out of this, not necessarily better positioned economically, although hopefully we can we can take it back up where we were, but we'll, we'll have so much more debt. And if interest rates rise, that's going to create a lot of pressure. Um, to me, the big unknown is, is where are we going to go? Where, where do we want to go as a society? And then in, in our federal budget, reflecting those values going forward, uh, will, will we tell ourselves this was the equivalent of a thousand year flood and, and it won't happen again and we can kind of go back to business as usual? Or will there be a lot of uh, reevaluation of kind of national priorities uh, that, that where defense might not look quite as favorable as it did uh, when you look at some of these other needs that may be flaws that have been exposed in our, in our safety net or other programs. But it's kind of hard to tell right now wh what lessons we're going to all learn as a society and then going to want to take back to our federal process and, and maybe reprioritize a little bit. Mike McCord, Tina Jonas, thanks very much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.